Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 130-something of Midweek Metagame. I am your irregular co-host, Patrick Robertson, joined, as always, by Gabriel Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? Well, 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 we have a giant episode today, including no Harry, but a, re a suitable replacement. We're joined by Modern Challenge winner, Sunday Modern Challenge winner, I should just, just to be to be clear. Canister MTG, aka Piotr Kogowski. Canister, what's up? I'm very happy to join you in recording this podcast. Well, we are very happy to have you joining us in recording this podcast. Um, obviously, Canister won the Sunday Modern Challenge, defeating Gav in the quarterfinals <laughs> at the top eight. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of uh, plenty to talk about there. We can kind of go blow by blow through their match if we really feel like it. But before we do any of this, we need to you know, well, you know, acknowledge the people that uh, pay, pay for our time here. And so that is cardmarket.com or cardmarket.eu, a fantastic place to spend money on trading card paraphernalia of all sorts. Thank you very much, Card Market. You should go there and spend their money, spend money at that site. Uh, also, if you would like to spend money directly on us, you can do so at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. Content's always going to be free, but if you want to go there and throw a few dollars our way, that would be awesome. And you can come and hang out in Discord. And I believe Harry has some revamped Discord thing going on, which will be announced next week. So you can stop listening to this episode and tune in next week if you want to find out about that. Right. Anyway, chilling out of the way. Modern, modern challenges. Uh, Gabby played both, I, I believe. You're playing four color control again. Is that right? Four color elementals. I, um... Ah, yes. Yeah, the resin version. I played it a bit during the week, and at first my results weren't the greatest, maybe just free twos and whatnot, but I did feel like resin reef was strong. I was impressed by the card and the build in general, and I felt like I didn't really know what else I wanted to play. I was a bit scared of playing Murktide because I was worried about the elementals matchup, and I didn't feel like my living end matchup was amazing. I didn't feel like any any matchup, but you know, I think Murktide's just good deck across the board, but didn't feel super strongly about it. Didn't want to play Living End. And yeah, I felt like my results during the week were good enough to give it a chance in the challenge. I actually started 5-0 on Saturday and lost the last three. I was a little disappointed. And then on, on Sunday, I uh, I lost the second round, but then I won out and uh, Canister easily... Uh, took care of me in the quarters was um a little a little very, very easily yeah very easily was a new a new arc completely new archetype gls want to tell us about it cancer yes, yes. not to confuse with uh previously existing gds uh i played gls which uh, means Grixis Ledger Shredder, which is the premier threat in this uh, in this deck. Uh, other than that, it's very similar to to GDS. Yeah, is it a deck you had played a lot during the week, or you kind of just like theory crafted a, and just ran with it? It's a deck I uh, did not play with previously during the week, but uh, in my Discord we had some talks with the players in there. There is uh, one player who is a big, big, big fan of four color Death Shadow. He he calls the deck Death Shadow. Uh, splashing for 
free copies of Riveteer's Charm. Okay. Which, uh, right. Okay. Wow. That I think is a great card for the deck. And had it been Grixis colored, I would be kind of ecstatic to play it in uh, Grixis. Okay. Uh, but his deck was also a Death Shadow deck, not a ADS deck, not an LS deck. Uh, so I thought about it and, uh, you know, Legend Shredder is the new card to try in every archetype, basically. The new cool card. And I haven't seen many Grixis players experimenting with it yet. And I like looked up some decklists, talked with people, and just like theory crafted a decklist for Sunday. And I think it's pretty legit. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I'd seen lists around. I'm not sure if anyone actually top aided a challenge with Grixis Ledger Shredder, but. Once I once I looked into the results on Goldfish, I found some lists of with Ledger Shredder, some going deeper with a full playset, some of them going with like just maybe two, etc. Yeah. So, you had four, you had all four? Yeah, I had four. Yeah. Partially because I have I wanted to just stress test the card and see how great it's gonna be in the shell. But it did make sense. For Shredder to be pretty nice in the shell, as Fotsies is a great card to draw early, but also a bad top deck. So being able to connive it away is pretty good. Same with conniving away Croxa is also like very synergistic with uh, with your deck. While in other uh, Shredder decks, like in uh, Blue Red, you kind of just connive for value. You get the counters. You like fix your hand, but like don't get anything past that, right? Like no extra value from from that. You set up Merktide. They kind of make Merktide better in some ways, but mm. not as good yeah. as in in a deckless Crux, I guess. Yeah, this is definitely the kind of shell that, at least in theory, we've been talking about in the podcast is the ideal home for uh, for Legislator. Uh, several times I've said that, you know, Legislator and Counter Skulls is kind of a bit of a Drake no face and Legislator and Disguise Skulls is Drake yes face. And yeah, it's been a while. No, no one's really had a kind of breakout performance with a deck like this, but it's been sitting below the top eight uh, of, a, of a few challenges. So, you know, people trying various different versions and, you know, all the synergies you, you mentioned before are just exactly what you want to be doing with a Legislator. I think that you know you've got a lot of really good ways to grow it. I mean, one of the major tensions I find in blue red is that it never really gets like becomes a particularly big threat at any point in time, or if it does, it kind of comes at the expense of card quality in hand. You just like I feel a little bit like I'm not clocking them hard enough if I discard lands to it, but I, I, if I discard spells to it, then I'm not really killing them far. Then I'm not able to protect my protect my position. Whereas in this deck, you're proactive enough, have enough redundant guys that you're happy to throw away or throw away for value. It's just a perfect moment, I think. Yeah, it's it's like very subtle differences, but uh, it's ends up mattering over the course of games, matches, and and tournaments, of course, right? Definitely. And uh, you know, I started I started with uh, four larger shredders to to test it, to like stress test it, as I said. Then after the tournament and playing against Blue Red Merktide, thing three, four, maybe even five times during the tournament, I would definitely 
want to play four shredders as like the card seems pretty key in this matchup exactly it does seem like you know if you are playing a ledger shredder mirror then a grixis colored list is going to be slightly better equipped at uh, utilizing your own shredder and handling your opponent's shredder right like with blue red that problem sometimes arises they play shredder you don't have the bolt immediately it's too early too early for delirium in the game and uh, you're kind of screwed and uh, here you know fatal push drown the lock can kill a bigger shredder yeah, yeah. lots of really good clean answers to, to opposing shredders here yeah that's kind of been my experience in the blue red mirrors whoever draws more shredders and yeah have more shredders survive is usually in in pretty good shape you you said you you played a, against a, a lot of murktide i had a question i was wondering if death shadow was actually good for you or if maybe it would have been better as murktides or I guess you already have Croxlas, so you can't really play Murktide, but was Death Shadow uh, like a key part of the deck, or was it the just like... question, uh, The Murktide question... The question rises up a lot, a lot of people ask that, and uh, that has been tried, and I think that has pretty spectacularly failed, right? Like, both after the Lurus ban and probably earlier, people were playing Murktide pregen alongside Grixis, but... If you look at the deck list, it is, you know, you look at the cards that cost one mana, it is pretty clearly a deck that's going to want to fetch Blood Crypt a majority of the time. So then you have a blue blue threat in your Blood Crypt uh, leading deck, and you're also not playing uh, Cantrips. And if you don't play Cantrips in your deck, you don't play Consider or like something on top of that. Uh, you will notice that your Murtag regions are going to be not 8-8s, but 5-5s, and that just is not good. It's yeah. Not good enough for a card when it's not doesn't break the 7th point of toughness to survive Unholy Heat reliably. Yeah. So, at that point, I don't want to be playing Murtag regions with uh, in a Blood Crypt deck, in the, in the Grixis deck. I think there is no point. And... Uh, well, there is a shell that utilizes Murktide Regent probably the best in the format that's the blue-red shell. And I think it belongs there. While I do think uh, it does not belong in Grixis. Death Shadow is a vanilla creature, Tarmogoyf type threat. Sometimes high power is just valuable to clock people because otherwise you have low low amount of damage dealt per your creature and you just can't clock quickly enough so i think it makes sense to play a few although with uh, shredder providing me with extra creatures in the deck i did not shy away from just boarding out uh, death shadows either like a single one or two or like all of them against either blue red or four color you can definitely do that I think I actually boarded all of them against you in the quarterfinal. You boarded all of them out? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it can, it, can, it can be scary. Like, you have a few answers to it. You have prismatic ending and... but Particularly weak against a card like Subtlety as well. 
Oh, Solitude? No, the other one. Solitude. Solitude. Well, it's put in multiples against Solitude. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You also you also want, I guess, good good opening hands and you yeah, exactly. Like the long game, sh- shaping the first few turns of the game, like it's like definitely spots happen where it's great to have a shadow and be able to attack for a lot. But I think I find the games that I find the games to be a lot about shaping the early turns in a f- favorable way, and then from that spot, yeah, you can. Like once you once once the four color deck is on the back foot, you can just strike where it hurts every turn, and they typically die. So, is there a matchup where Death Shadow is especially good, or it's kind of a card that's okay in the main because it's always you know it's a creature, it's somewhat proactive, and and then you board them out a lot. Well, matchups like I don't I don't know like Belcher, Titan, this type of stuff, right? Where you just want to. You want to be the one who knocks and not the one who's getting knocked. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, that, that's the entire reason why I stopped playing Yorion for the most part was that I got tired of being the one who gets knocked and the one that tries to answer literally every problem that your opponents present to you. And uh, I just yeah, much prefer to be able to do threatening things in modern and that is when i think i also perform better i don't know if it's like play style or whatever but uh yeah you, you... I, I think i have a better time I, I think i have a much easier time winning when i play something that's proactive and capable of uh killing my you, opponent you don't think uh risen reef is proactive enough yeah i think Reading it's a bit enough. Because you were like, I mean, I'm, you're kind of like the OG elemental player. I mean, maybe not OG, but you played that deck more than anyone, and you, you were top played, eight yeah. almost every weekend with elementals for a long time. That was what, like, was it this year and the last year? I played for half a year after uh, MH2, so like MH2 was a year ago. Yeah. So like then I played some stuff and I stuck to elementals, which then evolved into four color like Yorion. Which then again evolved into elementals. Yeah. Have you played elementals recently? Mm, a few. When was that? A month. A month and a half ago, I sold my Yorions. Yeah. On Magic Online, and I just didn't play any Yorion decks because I don't have the cards, so like I can't. And I swore to never play it again. So, so far I'm sticking to that to that oath. I'm just not playing that, and I'm I'm happier. All right. Honestly, it's it's a better life. Yeah, and of course, like also, of course, weirdly, once I dropped the deck, it seemingly, you know, started doing better <laughs> than it used to. Right when I was playing it, so yeah. that raises some questions too. Yeah, uh, but how so far, I, I don't play Syrian. How much of that uh, rise of four color kind of coincided with the Lurus ban and then the kind of you know, the decline in Grixis Shadow opponents and the rise in Murktide opponents. Because I feel like that that, that Murktide versus four-color matchup is kind of like an important one to kind of... that uh, defines a lot of the modern format at the moment, you know, where, you know, there's no real true consensus as to how bad it is for Murktide, but the the consensus generally seems to be that it's not great for them and one of the good four-color matchups. Yeah, that definitely was the case. Uh, I think before the Lurus ban... I was operating for a very long time under the belief that 
Yorion is great against, or at least favored against the, all the Lurus decks, but now I don't even think it was true back then necessarily. Like against Grixis, Death Shadow, it was kind of kind of tricky with Yorion. I, I think... certainly felt I felt that the Grixis Grixis Shadow versus Four Color was definitely closer closer to favorable for Grixis than Merktide versus uh, Four yeah, Color. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, like Merktide is uh, much less powerful against uh, Four Color, and I think it's legitimately slightly unfavorable against uh, Four Color. And well, with the Lurus being banned and like the Blue Red taking the crown as the default best deck, best basic deck to play, I guess like Four Color matches up nicely against that to an extent, but uh, I always feel like it's just by a few percentage points, like just slightly ahead for, for four color. It's not a landslide by any means. And uh, the you can't you can trust your opponents in modern to really follow suit and like play the best deck or play the like second best deck or third best deck you will like always feels like you will spend a third of your rounds in challenges even or uh, in any tournaments playing against some other nonsensical decks mm. you know yes. like the like the tier tier two tier three tier weird <laughs> exactly yeah that's a, that's kind of part, part of the appeal for modern i guess and it's yeah, been the story yeah. of the format for you know almost as long as it's existed I was, so, just, just to, sorry, just to, um, to talk a little bit about the kind of dynamic again of blue red versus four color, and compare that to to Grixis versus four color as you were describing earlier. They seem to revolve around the same essential things. If you're blue red or if you're Grixis, it's about controlling those first few turns of the game. But the t the tools that are available for for blue red are so much more reliant on your opponent kind of uh, doing doing something into your reactive spells rather than the, the discard spells of Grixis. I guess that's the kind of where those the shift in the matchup percentage points must come from because the important thing is to get under get to establish some kind of pressure and force them into a tough spot where they have to play into counter spells or, or, or into your interaction. But um... exactly, exactly. Fourth season like goes a long way at uh, sculpting the game to a spot where it's unfavorable for four color. And then a second very big card, I think, are Turax from the sideboard, which come up quite often. With, uh, with the iterations digging and surveilling, you find it pretty often. And again, with like FOTCs, you just navigate yeah. the game to a spot where you play the Turak and it just leaves them empty handed or like with little hand. And then it's hard to answer. It's a really, a really tough card. Like, uh, when I played the Mocs last time, which was in February, which was still with Lurus Legal. That was like kind of the tournament that also changed my view of like who's favored in that matchup. I went with four color control, Yorion, for that tournament. And I played in it against Tangrams, who was playing Gixis Death yeah, Shadow. I remember that match and too. just like the way he was toying with me and navigating, and I was just with my stuck with my expensive spells in my hand, and you know, I had like Veil of Summer or maybe even two. But that was no problem. Like he was able to present enough pressure, like pick up Lurus when I was just holding the veil, then I hold the veil again and then like 
eventually gets to six mana, plays two rack, drowns my veil, I have no hand, I die. Yeah. And that just was kind of eye-opening, you know, how yes. a great player can navigate. Uh, Funny, has, yeah. has so much more agency over over the Yorian player just I think, I think casting both, both Gab and I both having the exact same memory and feeling about that match as well. We spoke dude, about Dude, I have a, such a bad memory for everything, but I really remember that game and how he had Veil the entire time and kept green up the entire time and he had multiple cards in hand that ran into Veil but he never really had to play them and yeah it was, yeah, I was, was a great showcase of, of patience yeah it's yeah he played really well and you you did what you could and it was as yeah it was a little disheartening but uh yeah I know that Torak was the bane of my existence for a while back in Last year, like you're supposed to play these Omnath decks that had all these powerful cards. It was back when I think I played the control version with the fairies and stuff, maybe. But it, it didn't even matter. They had Lurus, they had better late game than you just because of Lurus and Saga if it was John Saga or the Grixis version was a nightmare because of the counter spells and stuff. And yeah, no Lurus now. I guess I was going to ask you how the Grixis matchup is against four color but if you just build the deck and played it did you play against any other four color decks or just me in that challenge on sunday i played against you and i played against uh louis samuel del tour but he was playing the vivian version which uh probably is like much worse by default into grixis having the vivians and like you know, less useful cards and more like combo pieces that don't do that much. Yeah. I thought the matchup should be at least close. You beat me pretty handily. I did, I think I mulliganed once and you had pretty solid hands and my hands were, I don't think they were that bad actually. I don't remember exactly the details. Oh yeah, that was the one game where I could have bolted you in game one and I actually drew one of my other two bolts and I might have won if my draw steps were the same. But I think on Magic Online, I think it shuffles all the time. So who knows? And then game two, I mulligan and almost almost recovered, but it was it was kind of close. Um, yeah, I yeah. don't know. Like I don't think it's a landslide, but people also like don't even play much Veil of Summer, even though like that card can be navigated through, as we just mentioned that much. So they all watch your match for the marks. But <laughs> maybe yeah, but like people don't even play play like much Veil like. Yeah, I only I usually play two. Maybe maybe I don't play enough. I just don't like having too many of these reactive cards, drawing too many of them, even though they can be real powerful. Just general philosophy. Maybe do you think Veil is all too good to not like play a ton, or do you agree that you know you won't you don't like two can get a good number? That was always my assumption that like I wanted to play four Vales in Yarion because I wanted to actually be favored against those uh, blue-reds, Grixis, or like whatnot decks. And I found that the only way to be really uh, favorable is to play like four Quat or four Vale because those are the cheap car cheap cards that also interact at instant speed with either creatures or spells. Uh, cut out with creatures, veil with spells. Uh, so in theory, I, w I was wanting to do that all the time, but it is possible that it is not the best way to build Yorion to play 
we place it above as uh, you know you have 80 cards in your deck so like your you your cyborg slots are fairly valuable so yeah. it's pretty hard to to fit everything what you need in fact it is impossible to fit everything that you need that is the nature of the deck yeah classic moderns the the other card you were talking about ice fang coddle yes yeah yes. yeah i think that card's obviously really important against the ragvan decks the blue red decks etc i just feel like with four color i have a decent matchup against murktide sure having more veils would be pretty good but you know i can bring in cluster storm and i feel like the matchup's fine if there's a lot of Grixis Shadow, maybe maybe then you want to consider Veil. Veil can also be nice against Living. And do you feel as like I guess an, a spectator now from the other side of the board? Do you feel strongly about any of the versions of of Omnath, whether it's kind of the the Counterspell version, a bunch of Ephemerates, the Resonary version? Do you, do you have a strong opinion, or do you just feel like they're all like pretty decent and it doesn't really matter? It's like all feels, I don't feel very strongly. It all feels like if you have like a water uh, water tank, let's say, and it has holes in it and you're like trying to patch it and then like there's a new hole and you try to patch the new hole with your, with your hand, but then it opens the old patch. Yeah. That's like how it, how it feels to build the Orion decks to me and it's just always going to be leaky in a few spots. Oh, so you, so you don't even think it's one of the best decks in modern? You don't, you don't think it's especially good? No, I do think it's uh, a strong deck. Like, it's definitely hard for me to argue against the results. I do think it is not the optimal deck for me. Yeah. And I do think it will be, like, better for my win rate long term to avoid it, to play different decks. Uh, even if, like very possible that at a certain weekend a certain version of uh four color is like the absolute bee's knees and you should be playing that but i think it requires like some luck into stumbling onto it because you know deciphering modern is is hard right yeah like you don't know if the if the belcher players are gonna uh dwell out of they're gonna come out of their caves and uh, play, or if they're gonna be. I'm you're talking about one explicit Belcher player. If he comes out of his his cave, Bob Forty Nine. Well, there's, there's Bob Forty Nine going to turn up this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's many of them, but Bob is like the strongest of them. That's yeah. fair. And then you know you you just have like those random zero percent matchups, like or even like random matchups that vary from zero to 40 percent depending on like what sideboard you have but like it's kind of random and you don't know you know sometimes you you can just happen to present a version of four color that will just never win against a valakut deck and your opponent just goes sakura tribal there and you know like land land ramp scape shift yeah so so are you trying to describe that although there may be weekends when playing four color is the right thing to do to be able to, to be able to figure out the weekends that it's the right thing to do is too hard. So you would rather not try not make the mistake of playing on the weekends that it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I would rather not. You know, I. You're you're paying for your for for your fifty five percent matchup versus Merktide with a like five percent matchup versus Bob Forty Nine, and it's like. 
it's a risky proposition. Like it could it could be good if there is just one Bob forty nine and one thousand Magillion Merc type players, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty risky. You can you can do a few things. You can play with Seiju if you feel like there's gonna be some no land stack and maybe Tron as well. I feel like if you're playing for Baseju and you're 95, you're actually probably pretty decent against these decks. Especially if you're playing the Counterspell version, because you also have Counterspell, maybe a few Veils. You can kind of piece wins together, and then you have the the Baseju wins. But I agree that I actually did play against Bob on, on Saturday. Uh, he beat me. And there was another player who uh, we top-aided the, the Sunday Challenge, actually, with Belcher as well. I, I once beat Bob in a top eight of a challenge when I was uh, very sick. I had COVID. I felt quite bad. I didn't stream the challenge, but I just played it uh, on my own. Got to the to the top eight, and I think in the quarters or semis, I played against Bob, and I won the match against him. And that was like the my highest point of like the Magic career. I I felt so good about that. It literally took drawing four counter spells and like top twenty cards, though. So. Came free, so <laughs> it's pretty lucky. Although it was before Bosseju, so it's like definitely it's possible to win against Belcher, but it's just it's really hard. Before the mocks, I knew that Bob was qualified for the mocks. So I knew that there is, you know, high chance that there is going to be a Belcher player. So like I took a few hour session with Sodek playing against Belcher. With like four Boseju total between main and sideboard, as you mentioned, a counter spell, some like extra forces, vetoes, etc. And it still, still was pretty bad. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, it was still pretty bad. Because I so, remember you ended up playing needles, right, in the sideboard. Yeah, a, a single needle just for the bob. Yeah. And then the Grixis players had that weird mailed card where basically you just. Mind grind. Mind grind, you just one shot them because they have no lands in their yes. deck. So I think it like mills the entire deck basically for what two mana or three mana? Three mana. Three mana. Three mana win the game. X spell, but X can be zero. And also it is each opponent but bypassed both Vel and uh, Leyline. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty nice. Yeah. Do you feel like the meta is maybe condensing a tiny bit? Because I was looking at the results for this weekend and there's actually only eight nine-ish different archetypes if you look at the 16 decks that made top eight usually it's like 10 or more it was mostly because there's a lot of murktide there's um three murktide decks there's also a bunch of four color decks there's a few few there's like the black coffer deck osmanus gune who's one of the og uh mtgo grinders from literally you know 20 years ago um yeah, Doomsday that came in second. Yeah, Bob who made a top eight. Uh, so, do do you feel do you feel that way? Because I know that I was playing a lot of Merktide recently, and the matchup I was playing the most was just a mirror match. Just 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 a lot of Merktide, a lot of Merktide in the leagues, a lot of Merktide in the challenge, and a lot of Merktide doing well, I guess. I think it is easy to think that it's condensing, but I think it's mostly quite random like on magic online actually what you people are gonna bring it's pretty hard to like make those most those guesses and like it i find it rarely pays off 
whenever I do well like tournament, whenever I win a challenge or or top eight, it's when I picked a deck that just is baseline sound solid and I'm like able to fight through matchup speed, random matchups or not. And it's really because you know I had the read on the meta game. Just look at the at the Saturday top eight and we're gonna list the decks give me a second i actually have them if you want yeah sure let's uh it was, what, what are the decks it was the... rhinos who won apparently it was elvan who i actually played against them in in the sway so i looked them up and their last tournament on on goldfish was seven years ago or something and they just showed up and once so i don't know if they had been practicing at least a tiny bit but that's kind of sick. Then it was Luis Samuel Del Tour who came in second was Vivian, well, the Vivian actually, combo deck. The, their last recorded result was seven years ago, right? Yeah. So maybe they just played the entire time, but without much success. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is possible that you can go a long time. But yeah. This is a long seven-year practice session. Yeah. <laughs> Louis, Louis, who in classic Louis fashion thanked his opponents on Twitter for playing poorly. Um. Then you had Osmanus Gnaze was mono black coffers. You had another Rhinos deck. And then in the quarters, you had Bub 49 was Belcher. You had the, the Glimpse. You had the French player Xenowan, who who made another top eight was Glimpse, was a take, uh, was heavy on the elementals, was Risen Reef. You had just a, a Nomnav deck, pretty, pretty, pretty classic Omnav deck. And you also had Calibrated Blast to round out exactly. the top eight. So like my point was that it's pretty random, right? Sometimes. Yeah, like, I agree. I agree that. I agree that people's experience in league is going to vary vastly. Someone will tell you like, "Oh, I've played against Tron like four times in the last five leagues," and then someone else like, "I haven't played against Tron in like thirty matches or something." Yeah, yeah, and like it's kind of natural, natural for people to like seek, but you know. Not natural for people to seek patterns and stuff, and then uh, you're going to hear people saying, "Oh, yeah, I played against Tron three three times in the league. Tron is on the rise. It makes sense as the meta game responds to <laughs> four color dropping of Derbosedus to focus on playing Vel of Summer against Murktide region." But it's, it's yeah, often not as deep as that. I feel yeah, the the storylines are like fixed. Uh... The fake storylines, just to yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta have to have something to talk about, you know. Trying to apply kind of rational thought to people who are choosing to sleeve up Tron for a league is a fool's errand, I think. Well, you know, it's possible that some people put like thought into that to 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 some extent, but also many many people don't, and it's also probably. You know, an anomaly that you play against free Tron decks overall, as like other people won't experience that, etc. Just absolutely, lots of absolutely. factors, and like it's a big. Yeah, I mean, it's just people, people just recreation players as well. Like leagues yeah, instead of yeah. challenge, just people just being like, I feel like playing, I'm just going to play what I enjoy. And that is that is the modern way. This Xenowan deck in six places, this uh, Glimpse of Tomorrow uh, Cascade deck. You played a little bit of that on the stream recently, didn't you, Kenneth? Yes, yes, I did. Yesterday, it's, uh, a slightly yeah. different take on things, right? Yeah, it's actually pretty nice. It's like mm, previously, I was not a big fan of the glimpse 
decks because they seem to offer little uh, over what the other two cascade decks uh, offered. Rhinos and Living End, while not having any like distinct advantages. But I think this list is taking a few steps in the right directions. And like the big step is Cavern of Souls, uh, really boosting that fair game plan against uh, counter magic. It's it's pretty damn good to be able to play your Omnath with Cavern of Souls when your opponent is holding Flusterstorm, right? That's like a pretty good angle and pretty good advantage. And also like means that you're actually less affected by the anti-cascade anti specific tools while also having a relatively powerful, on average, let's say, more powerful than Rhinos effect underneath a cascade spell. So I think this list actually starts to develop a um, some kind of a like personality that makes it makes it a potentially viable choice over the other cascade decks which i think was not really present previously all right also getting to play to play manic endurance pretty pretty base when you line up when <laughs> you queue up into a living end opponent yeah four cavern seems like so many to me especially in a deck where decent amount of time you want to suspend glimpse on two but i guess suspending glimpse on two is usually good against control decks because then there's a turn where you're trying to kind of outmana them and if you have four caverns you're gonna be fine against control i did enjoy having a couple of caverns in the risen version of elementals i started it was free and then i felt like that was a little greedy and these matchups were already kind of okay and uh, i cut one but yeah cavern i think in this deck it like makes sense specifically it makes just much more sense right the nat natural thing against the cascade deck is that you are inclined to sit on your counter spell for as long as you can right like just always have it because you always uh, risk them resolving outburst yeah otherwise so that's just a pretty tough situation to be put in right your opponent can be holding up a Violent Outburst, or your opponent can be holding up an Endurance with Cavern of Souls that you can't counter, and that's going to block your Ragavan, right? That's yeah. pretty tough to to escape. Yeah. It also makes sideboarding as a deck incredibly difficult as well. Like, you know, normally against these Cascade decks, you can create a lot of space in your deck by just cutting removal spells that may not be very good or, or whatnot, and here you really have to play both sides of the coin. Yeah, I guess Torpor Orb would be pretty good against that deck, though, if you have no ways to get rid of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably time for the return of Torpor Orb, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked these games. Like, I was a big fan of the, the the version that just flipped a bunch of Archons into play. That one was really fun. It's was, it was yeah, a ton of variants, but it, it had some really good matchups. I think I remember like getting paired against decks like Titan. Titan was pretty popular when I was when I was trying out the deck, and that matchup felt almost unlosable. Few other matchups like that that were just just really really good for you, but uh, yeah. I I played a version with eight leylines in the main deck to have more permanents. So it was four leyline leyline sanctity, four leyline of the void in the main deck. I think 
so that you could flip more more permanents to hit your Emra call more often. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I don't that, remember if I've ever not, played not it. that good. Yeah, I don't remember if I played that version or maybe yeah, probably at some point I had some ley lines in my main, but. Well, white ley lines decent card in modern right now. Sometimes I have one or two in my sideboard when I'm playing four colors. If I'm worried about burn or can be can be kind of sweet. And four color in eighty cards. Yeah, why not? You know, a little card against burn, also decent against. Um, maybe I was bringing it like against living in. I think maybe I was bringing in just was brief for such because I, I don't remember, but you can get Belcher pretty good with it, right? Can get Belcher. Um, I, I guess it actually doesn't really matter that you're playing it in eighty cards because it's like should be compared to not a Leyline sixty, but another card we could have in eighty. So I guess yeah. the reaction was was a typical uh, misunderstanding of Leylines. Reaction. Yeah. It kind of yeah, triggers me actually it. when people say, "Why are you playing one in your sideboard yeah, when you're yeah. playing eighty cards?" Anyways, I'm like, "Well, you know, what's what's why, the difference? Why don't you just lie lie on the floor and die, right?" Yeah, or you know, what's the difference between the first of that or the second of that? It's the same, you know. It's one slot. It's one slot, and yeah, yeah. It's not like you can sideboard your deck down to sixty cards yeah. to make your sideboard more like concentrated in games two and three. Like it's always going to be you know one of eighty, like as was saying. Yeah, like everything matters, right? Every bid adds up, and people are like, "Why, yeah. why even bottom?" Like, oh, that doesn't reminds make sense. Me of, reminds me of an anecdote that I'm trying to remember where I, I heard it from, but they were talking about kind of uh, testing for the pro tour with Ben Rubin. I, oh, it was Reese Leverable's podcast, I think. Patrick Sullivan's talking about uh, Ben Rubin being like, I think I want to find room for one force spike in my deck, and Sullivan being like, that sounds terrible. It's like a four of or a zero of card. And Ruben's, Ben Rubin is like, well, well, no, you, maybe you just want like nine one mana spells and this is the ninth one that you want. And so why does it matter that, you know, your brain tells you that you want four of this effect or zero of this effect? You know, same logic could be applied to ley lines here, I guess, as well. Like you, you, you have a 15th sideboard card, you're going to bring it in in this matchup. What does it matter if it's ley line of sanctity or if it's you know, negate or whatever? Yeah, you know, it's still it's exactly the same. You know, it's it's filling the same slot and doing some some job. Yeah, exactly. And it's true for that. It's true for every point of the curve. You know, sometimes you have four ups and then you want a few extra spells. Sometimes you just need, you know, critical mass of cheap spells. So you're gonna play, but you also don't want to draw too many of the same kind of narrowish reactive spells. So you're gonna play one of that, one of one of that two mana removal spell, one of this two mana removal spell, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Kind of like, I mean, I guess in modern right now, maybe it could be like ending, march, bolt, on holy heats, all these cards. And I mean, Canis's Death Shadow deck has like one light, one lightning bolt, one fatal push, and you know, and four on holy not, heats. Yeah, it also yeah, has four on holy heats. Yeah, and some terminates too. Yeah, I get free Death Shadows for one drop. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I had to fight my brain for for a while on that because I was like, damn, I'm cutting a death shadow, but like then, like my deck, entire deck is like lose life a little bit to support it, and it's so bad. But then I just thought about it harder, and so I was like, yeah, I want to play four shredders, and it seems like the worst creature to me. I'll just cut a shadow to to make space for like whatever card I was looking for. I managed. You managed to tune out the voices in your head. It's good. It's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good on his practice. Yeah. I guess I wanted to talk a tiny bit about the list I ended up playing in a challenge and maybe talk about some of the questions that people had for me a lot. 
one of the most common asked question was about Titania, Protector of Argos. If that card was really worth it, it was good. It was just Mimi, and I thought that card was just really good for me. It was a good five drop. It was really good to have some high impact target. You know, you can tutor for with Eladamry Skull, and it was totally not win more. You know, it does it does much more than Omnath in some spots. It obviously works really well with Omnath, really well with Risen Reef. And that, that's something that came came back a lot, and I was really happy with that card. People were also asking about Oath of Nissa. I'm not as sure about Oath, but I thought it was pretty solid. A lot of time with Yorion, you can lose because you'll play these games and you'll end up losing because you didn't draw a bottom growth, or you maybe only drew one. And Oath was nice. Also, didn't break a single time somehow. It feels like maybe eventually you should, you should break, but that was nice occasionally it'll fix your mana. So I thought that card was was just fine. It also finds your tutor targets in, in game two. You know, you have a few one-offs in your sideboard. If you're going to play a lot of Busejus to fight these these Nolan decks or these Tron decks, that's also a card that finds Busejus. So that was pretty good. And then besides that, I don't feel like super strongly about... Bolt or Unholy Heat. Maybe I should have played a, f a few Unholy Heat, Numbers of Ephemerate. And as as I was asking Cancer, I don't feel super strongly that Elemental is necessarily much, much better than the other versions. You've seen people play the Counterspell versions with Ephemerate and Call. It's kind of all over the place. I was thinking maybe I should have played one Eternal Witness because there's a lot of mirror matches. And just having more cards that can be good in the mirror matches in the late game would have been good. So yeah, I really liked the deck. I thought it was fun. The only thing I didn't like was that the mayor was somewhat miserable because it's a lot about the clock on Magic Online. It's matches that are super long. And the game, I feel, are skill intensive, but in a not very fun way, in a pretty tedious way. And most of it is because of the clock factor. You have to like take a lot of game actions and be pretty precise, but do it in a fast way. And it kind of sucks out the fun a bit out of it also the games was emerald can be pretty frustrating because you're trying to play fast and you're ahead but you have to keep playing tight because they can turn it around with emerald and you have to be careful and i actually won a game where my opponent kind of emerald me and messed up they ticked up teferi for no reason and then on my turn i got to take down teferi on oath find my emerald and and win the game so that has not been very fun for them, but yeah, besides that. Honestly, I, those mid-range, like, massive kind of card advantage engine fights are one of my least favorite things to do in all of Magic. And they, I agree with you, though. They're kind of, every decision really matters, but they're just so miserable to play. It is very exhausting to play, to play those, especially, as you mentioned, with the, with the clock being the factor. Because you, like, yeah, it does not feel like solving a puzzle, but, like, speedrunning through a puzzle, I guess, and like you need to play quickly at eighty percent and not like at normal speed with ninety five percent like your skill or what or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, no, if, if time wasn't an issue, I wouldn't mind the mirrors and you know making sure you get it right. It feels a bit like control matchup sometimes, but yeah, the, the time makes it bad and also there's I mean, it's true for every mirror, but even more so for this one. It feels like, you know, whoever draws better is usually going to win. And 
there's not a ton you can really mess up, you know, when you have a really good draw or, or when you have Ren and Six advantage and it's kind of Yeah, yeah. In in general I think I would say that my impression throughout the last year after MH2 was that four color does not scale too well with player skill. Like it's scales much worse with play with with player skill than the iteration decks, the Ragavan decks. That's and... fair. What about four color on that with Ragavan in iteration? <laughs> it's like same thing. Probably scales yeah. a little bit better than Reef, but yeah, it's also like it's still eighty cards, and you're still at the mercy of like of what you're going to draw like all of the, all of the yorion decks in all formats i guess that's the nature of the of the companion yorion is that they devolve into kind of uh, mid-range soup decks with like no clear identity yeah well and you just like end up throwing the throwing the cards often with them you also just have a higher mana curve so you have less to see you don't have yeah, all these one exactly. mana spells so you're 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 gonna maybe have the choice between two spells every turn instead of like a bunch of different combinations of still i agree yeah, i think yeah. the you also, decks are... you also draw a lot of cards but you draw them blindly so those decks are also susceptible to flooding yeah you, you know. see a far greater percentage of your deck in every game with a deck like blurred murktide than you do with uh, elementals or, or, or any other four color version. Well, you might you might see a lot of cards of elementals, but it's just draw a card every time, right? So you just like pick the yeah, card exactly. at the top and yeah. you put it into your hand, and you don't like. So I guess you do see more cards in like Merktide because you sift through them with survivals and iterations and knives, of course. Ah, uh, knives. I, I want to uh, just uh, ask you your opinion on Merktides versus uh, Shredders in, in Blue Red in particular. If you kind of you played a bit of uh, Merktide over the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. at least. Uh, did you find a, a a kind of comfortable spot with a number of number of threats in that deck that you liked? You know, uh, you know, I've seen people going as low as uh, you know two, maybe even zero Merktide regents, and my my gut tells me that's wrong. But I, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on that. I think the free free sounds like about right. It, it does doesn't... seem to be where people are finally settling. Yeah, yeah. Like Murtag region is great. You like frequently sculpt the entire game about landing region, protecting the counter spell once and attacking twice for for sixteen, winning the game. But also a little bit poor in multiples to draw, poor in opening hand, etc. So like typically you want to draw like one or maybe two per game. Well placed Murktides, they're the most effective there. Oh. And Ledger Shredder, well, depends how many you can fit, I think. Like, the card is great, like, I guess you have to... If you think you can fit, like, an extra two-drop, then maybe you can play four. If not, then, like, three. It's about yeah. right, so I don't hate the three-free. Yeah. Uh, that's I think three-free, four-two, four-free is all fine. I think maybe four Shredders is good. And I was playing four Shredders to, to Merktide. I liked it, but I did feel like maybe for Merktide would be good. And then you can just kind of trimmed them a bit after sideboard when people bring in graveyard hate. Doom Switch played a list that I thought was pretty solid. He was playing free shredder, free Merc tides. And he did what a lot of people have been doing, just trimming a lightning bolt. He had one spell pierce, two charms, and then you usually have that sometimes you have that last slot in the main where you're basically gonna play one of your sideboard cards in the main. So it can be 
uh, an explosives or in, in Doom Switch case, it was a dress down. I guess it could be a Jace, subtlety. I was playing the one Hearst in the main at some point that I thought was was fine and, and pretty good in the mayor. But uh, yeah, Doom Switch was a pretty pretty straightforward main deck and just pretty close to uh, to the sideboard I was playing. I guess he has the two subtleties uh, in the sideboard that I'm not the biggest fan of, but it's actually the card I lost to in on on Saturday, I just I just lost that that classic match against Rhinos where they didn't even cast a cascade all spell all, all game. They just went um they just went like bone stopped me on turn two, play a bone crusher, subtlety, uh yeah, subtlety or subtlety my omnath counter counter or and on our game they just like Cast Furies and stuff. Uh, I thought I was gonna turn the corner, and they just had. I think they had running, running, running Furies. They had free, they had a Fury, and then they draw two more up the top. So that was that was a little frustrating. I think that was Alvan who ended up winning the tournament. Anyways, enough with the bad B stories. Frustrating, but I think if I combine all of my anti rhinos experience with Folk a lot of Fury is probably the single card I lost the most to. Yeah, I agree. It's like always, always the Fury that ends up finishing you. Like frequently, it's the Fury of the top. It's so like, yeah, yeah. It really happens all the time that you're like, oh, Omnia finally, and they just like hard cast a fury, and you're like, oh god. And it's yeah. also the nature of the Rhino deck is that you always feel a little bit unlucky when you lose against them mm. because that's just how their deck is structured to like put you on the back foot and push the advantage while they can, and it always feels like, oh, if I only had one more turn, if I had a one good draw step here instead of a bad draw step, I would have demolished them. But they kind of thrive. On that, I, I'm honestly a strategy people have uh, have lost matches against Rhinos. So I just I I can't ever. You can never convince me to sleep that deck. I don't understand how it wins. Maybe because it's not that great against Mark Ted, but yeah, Rhinos and the same way. Good. Like if you were playing against Living End for the third time, you'd be like, "Wow, this is unbelievable!" They just had turn three Living End backed up by a grief and a force of negation and. But yeah, it yeah. just it just happens all the time. Just... Uh, living end, living end is a bane of my existence at the moment. Believe well, with no living end in either top eights last weekend. So that's right. Yeah, take that living end. People, people, that people, so people are adjusting. It is it is very good. Yeah, if you don't respect it, you're you're gonna lose. I feel like I lose to it even if I really respect it. Like I have a huge amount of respect for living end. It just steamrolls me every time. It has a very very high lack ceiling if you draw well with living end you just like you probably nobody will ever beat you this makes play. me feel a lot better actually thank you <laughs> appreciate it like if you play living like if you can play modern but instead of drawing cards randomly you just vampiric tutor every time you take a draw i think i play living end in, in like that tournament yeah I'm always blown away that they always have a black card to like grief me twice. Like, how do they ever have like two black cards? That's the most astounding part to me. How much yeah. of your your decisions play living in and the the life tournament you won was just logistics of maybe getting the cards or not wanting to go to time, wanting to have short rounds? What was your what was your thought process when when you played living in in a tournament? It was right after I. Uh, decided not to play Yorion and for like that moment living in was just my go-to 
Okay. So it had nothing to do with it being a paper event. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't have. I I chose to play Living End. It was not card availability issue, and like I played Yorion in paper tournaments before. Yeah. Although it it did suck, definitely. It's so bad. Having having to rush and when you when you when you play in paper and you play against somebody who's just slow, then it's it's terrible. Honestly, shuffling 80 cards double sleeve is just a nightmare. I don't know how to yeah. do it with like 100. It's just and you crack your fetch and you have to search your deck for that single temple garden in it. Oh, and just... Fucking hell. Honestly, I, I, was, I, I played one paper tournament uh, since like a uh, companion's been printed and I played against Yorion like two rounds out of the some number I played. And after like shuffling once and presenting, I was just like, I really hope you don't have to mulligan. Uh, I really have. I hope you have a really good opening hand. And I just like I was just tapping the top of my opponent's deck after like one one go around <laughs> shuffling. Like, this is yeah. too much for me. I can't handle it. Then you fetch your temple garden. You like look for your deck. You you pass it by by accident, and you're like, damn, I didn't find it. Let's go again. He's still looking. That feels that feels terrible. If oh, your opponent is not like the the fastest player in the world, it feels like you're doomed. But no, it was not a card of ability issue, and like I just played Living End because I thought it was an insanely powerful deck, and also enjoy it. So yeah, so yeah, I just did. So, as a fellow streamer, I want to talk about a bit the stream. Fellow, fellow streamer, fellow ex MPL member, you were in the original MPL, right? Original, yes. Yeah, so you, you've you've been getting that that sweet MPL money for years now. Do you have do you have any plans for the near future? Is there are you gonna change anything? Because you know, obviously, it was a lot of extra. And I'm assuming like a huge majority of your income was just MPL, and the stream was just supplementary. So definitely, uh, I was wondering if. <clears throat> what you're gonna do basically if you're just gonna keep streaming and making maybe more content or maybe the stream money's enough for you um yeah just have you thought about it much i will be able to support myself from streaming so i plan on doing so because i enjoy yeah. streaming and that's just what i will be focusing on yeah, you, you stream and, a lot, uh, right? Like, what's your streaming uh, schedule like? How many hours do you stream a week? Uh, depending on the week, depending on wh whether I'm at the home on the weekend, I will play the challenges or not. But it's four, four days a week, five to six hours typically. So, like, it's... I scaled it down a little bit, I think, lately because I have found it a little bit too taxing on life and maybe too tiring when like try I try to stream like eight to ten hours every weekday. Uh, so I scaled it back to like six five and like slotted myself. I try to slot myself into between Menguchi and Aspiring Spike and you know Mengu finishes his modern stream or like whatever, and then there's no one big streaming, so I typically stream then and yeah. then uh, wait at least until Spike is on, and then maybe a little bit more if I feel like it, and then I uh, then I finish my stream and then 
people can go watch Spike, which they like often do anyway. So naturally, that like time slot is the time I was around streaming at typically. So I just kind of fit yeah. between them two, and it makes sense. Yeah. What well, what you do is your as as your hobbies and stuff. You just play. You play a lot of Magic upstream, I guess, because people ask me a lot if I play, and I basically don't play any Magic upstream unless I'm testing for a tournament. I play upstream. Well, not much. I I go to like FNMs twice a week, but it's mostly as a uh, social. How do you say this? Social thing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That is the word I was looking for. So like we go for an FNM, then we go to to eat something nice. Like that's that's the like ritual twice a week, and uh, I only really play off stream if I get really excited about a deck, if I test for a tournament, or if I just like have some intrusive thoughts about some stupid build of a vintage or sometimes legacy deck and i i have to get it out of my system like one one day i stayed up until 3 a.m because i was building and playing legacy neoforum so like that sometimes happens but oh, so you posted didn't you 5 you you came up with what was the sweet uh sweet interaction you came up with or the build already uh, i don't i don't remember but like i i did 5 it was like pretty funny and like just yeah i think if the 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 or maybe it's just it was just that people don't play neoform at all in legacy and you just yes 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 i remember it it was was like land grants and brainstorms and no there was no brainstorm brainstorm. it's not a green card so you cannot pitch it to all soros rider but the the key card was i think allosaurus not rider but shepard which makes your green Spells uncounterable. Right. So like, yeah, you can, they can't counter anything. So that's pretty nice. I remember seeing a tweet. Do you have any plans for competitive magic? As in, you know, kind of, you're gonna try really hard. You're gonna just try, and if it if it works out, it works out. Do you already know? So, I did not qualify for the first pro tour. I went eight seven at the arena championship. So lost like one too many matches mm-hmm. to qualify to be fair i have played esper in the tournament so maybe i deserved it and uh, somehow like throughout all the arena tournaments ever i just always managed to choose the least winning deck in every single one which is interesting yeah. uh in a way, I don't, it's like really tough for me to approach those tournaments. I don't, I never know how to, what to do, and I had, haven't figured out that to this day. But I did not qualify. I will be trying to qualify for the Pro Tour. Uh, since I was in Rivals, I am automatically qualified for the regional Pro Tour. Yeah, Sofia. We 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 qualify uh, for all three next year as MPL players. I, I believe so. Yeah. I believe that is the case. So yeah. I do not need to go to the qualifiers, the PPT qualifiers, kind of, yeah. They're like Copenhagen, Paris, and Bologna. Mm-hmm. I think I'll go to Copenhagen still just for the sake of the trip as I'm missing that 
not like being at a at a bigger tournament uh, trip uh, in uh, a few years because of covid so i will be going to copenhagen with my buddies and yeah. it's gonna be a great trip but i'm like gonna be playing there uh, recre- uh, recreationally yeah is that, is that a word yes I guess there's not that much you can plan because you basically have to do yeah, well yeah. at the regional. So, exactly. So like I'm planning to do well at the regional, <laughs> and like that's that's. Do you already know what your process is gonna be as far as testing and stuff? You're gonna have a team. Uh, you were talking about your Discord earlier. Is that kind of your playtest? Can be your playtest team maybe or kinda. Well, I, I will, it's going to be Pioneer. I'm going to be playing online a lot. Like, you know, last time there was a big Pioneer tournament. I just streamed and, like, released a guide for the deck and then got second anyways. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. That's kind of like when you were shitting on everyone. You were just like, this is the best deck. This is what I'm going to play. You were sharing your list. You were playing it on stream. Yeah. And then... There was like I think a two or three turns in a row where you did that and it, it worked out really well and then I think you kept doing it and didn't do so well anymore and then I think you stopped doing it because you're like maybe it was just you know it does not always like work the best and like certainly yeah. like it also worked much worse for the for the like standard tournaments I think but like in in modern Pioneer I feel like I can, I can still do that and be and be fine so probably gonna be do doing something along those lines and uh, I will see closer to, to the tournament. I can't imagine it's easy to uh, come up with a deck that is that far ahead of the field as Inverter was at those tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Every, every week. I'm still in denial. I'm not so sure Inverter was that far ahead. But... You've, you've never lived. I'm sorry. Do you, Cancer, do you, do you do a lot of content creation besides the stream? Mm, I would not say a lot. Yeah, I, like sometimes I try to to double in doing some forms of YouTube, but always kind of just slightly, and it's just mostly the stream. Although yeah. lately, lately, a few weeks ago, I was at uh, Berlin at the card market uh, office, and I recorded a few videos with them. I know you've been there too, Gab. Yeah and uh, recorded with them too it was a really nice experience and like really had a really good time there and the videos are being like released uh, weekly now yeah they do they and... do a great job they have a great team aka carl he's uh he's a machine exactly. and uh, yeah the, 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 their production is is is, is really good uh, as far as youtube goes they, they put yes. in a lot of so work they have like very they have a lot of resources available to do the channel like compared to like what a singular person has yeah so like they also make a nice use of it and it was a pleasure to work with them that was pretty cool yeah do you get maybe inspired when you see someone like spike putting all this work and these hours or some of the maybe youtubers and stuff because i know i i feel like i, sh- I should ma- i should probably try and do more and I'm a little lazy about it, and I, I'm having a hard time necessarily being motivated, doing more than 
does the stream, you know, I, I tried doing some, some YouTube more seriously at the end of last year and it was, it was kind of fun and interesting, but then I stopped and then I, I didn't start doing it again. Are you, are you just kind of content with, you know, the stream and you, you... I like my stream what it is. Like I've, I think I prefer it to, well, I like the, the way it is like, you know, discovering, not discovering, uh, exploring some like decks, uh, that are being played, like playing the good decks too, to keep up with the meta game, um, etc. I think I, I like doing that. Some other people, like you mentioned Spike, Spike, uh, you know, that's a different direction where he mainly brews, uh, which, uh, it's also like a good direction, of course, that like probably different people want to watch to an extent. Uh, I'm like content with the direction of my stream that I'm taking. I do sometimes think about like mm, exploring some other forms, but. Uh, YouTube is like a bit, a bit tough and like, uh, kind of just need to have an idea of what do you actually want to be doing, right? Like, do you want to be, you know, posting like gameplay? Gameplay is kind of, kind of doesn't, doesn't work that well on YouTube. And like, if you want to make a nicely, nice, well-edited video, that's probably maybe not worth the resources for the gains you're getting and also maybe just not that interesting for for the viewers yeah. so maybe you know there's like different forms of content that also can exist on youtube that sometimes work better for example i don't know if you're familiar with uh Ristic studies uh videos on on youtube no Have you ever entered that channel i don't think yeah. so he, he like does like let's say video essay form videos that are magic themed like talks about a theme or like about some iconic cards on you know just about many aspects of it for example you know a video about uh, like block lotus how is it iconic like etc like the mythos of it yeah all very tightly scripted as i understand in the risk studies channel he probably puts a lot of work and does what a video every what week two yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like definitely scripted, worked on research videos. Yeah, uh, they they are great videos. Like I I watch them sometimes between the rounds of the challenges, and they're pretty pretty engaging. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the way I see I would see it for me, and maybe you know someone like you because we have pretty similar profile is. One video a day, you know, it maybe take me an hour or two to record it, maybe be like 10 to 20 minutes long. And I'd basically talk about a lot of, you know, it'd be a little different every day, but it'd be like, you know, a lot of deck guides. I think people would enjoy deck guides. Um, ideally, you know, deck guides with some, 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 some shots of my games, you know, a clutch moment of the games to illustrate that and that and some slides for the sideboard. And then you could do like, you know, during preview season, it's pretty easy. You could do like maybe even one or two videos a day, just 
talk about one or two cards or the few few cards that caught your eye that day. Um, my my understanding of YouTube as a platform is that content that does not age that ages better is better for you, like right because it's gonna be watched for a longer time, so like it can actually amass the views and like be profitable for you in the end. Like if uh, sometimes I, I did some videos where I just talk about new cards from like a new set and how impactful they're going to be, but that's like content that's going to be relevant for three, four days. Nobody's going to be interested. What I think about Obnixil is uh, a week after Obnixil has been released because everybody knows by then, you know, if Obnixil is good. Yeah, but if you build a big enough following, then you can still get a lot of views. Like people are just going to, be on the you know they're going to be waiting for your videos every day um and i think the the more you do it the, the easier it's going to get to shoot these like five ten minutes videos maybe you react to a ban and you know as soon as the info comes out you, you 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 react to it and you know people are going to know oh there's been a ban i know that gab or i know that canister is going to have a youtube video up you know within the hour or two just telling their thoughts and because I know I watch some few YouTube channels for for other games, and they're, you know, I, I almost you know expect I know it's coming, but I still you know, want to hear what they have to say, even if it's not like groundbreaking or whatnot. And that's that's how I, I would see you know my YouTube channel. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's that's definitely definitely valid. And, and then obviously, approach, if you mix in too. mix in the evergreen content, as you're saying, that's that's really good for YouTube, but. You know, a deck guide, it's not going to be evergreen, but could be could be relevant for a few months. Um, yeah, also, like you, sorry, when people are going, you know, for the YouTube rabbit hole, they'll just look, listen to you talk if they like you, if they like your personality, and they'll just, you know, maybe watch an old video, just even if the deck guide's not super relevant, it might still be, you know, some bits of it might be relevant. and. Yeah, and you make you, you you know for me I could mix in like some some deck building videos that that would be more evergreen some maybe some stories some old PT stories or there's like so many so many things you can do I feel as a magic content creator if but I, it's not easy I'm not saying it's easy it's like definitely time you know it would be probably the, to, from from the outside looking in it seems to me that the biggest challenge is. Well, as Kenneth has kind of pointed out a little bit earlier, like figuring out what it is you're supposed to do. And given that there's a lot of different avenues you could take it, you and you need to do things with some amount of regularity, you have to pick something that actually kind of interests you and you will you'll feel con content doing. And, you know, whereas is, is posting kind of meme reaction videos really something you feel like you could get out of bed and do every day to kind of drive up your views. I, I personally wouldn't be able to do that if I felt like if I was in a spot, you know, the, how, or how I imagine your spot to be. But that's the that's the dilemma is figuring out what you can stomach doing. You know, but also, you know, fits kind of like your your uh, your brand, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, most, yeah, most I agree. I was gonna say most days you would probably just do, you know, a, a quick deck guide on the deck you've been playing the day before. Uh, you know, you can't necessarily play a lot of different modern decks. You're always trying out stuff. So that could be kind of your, you know, your default video. And then maybe a day you're a bit more inspired and there's something else. Or maybe another day you feel like putting a few more hours into editing and stuff. And there was an idea you had for a few 
days or maybe you work on a series of strategy videos that are can be more or less evergreen and stuff i don't know um yeah yeah it's also like definitely depends on what you like want to be doing because there is like different approaches and i think you can put more or less work into like a thing you can you know spend weeks maybe polishing a single video when you like feel like you want to do something that is actually pretty maybe something that you actually this song will drive you mad this song will drive you mad pay five for active trees and well that might sound pretty bad having watched uh, something like that or maybe you know you just like want to see it in that different direction that you mentioned there is definitely options speaking of ban reaction videos do we want to react to the recent pioneer bands yeah, we can talk about it. Pioneer and Explorer. We're testing Explorer Ooh, for the for the. I'm testing for the qualifier for the arena qualifiers. Yeah, right. Part... So, uh, I guess for those of you who haven't read the news today, um, uh, what's he announced? Bans in Pioneer and Explorer. Expressive iteration is banned in both formats, and uh, Winota is banned in Pioneer, uh, and and it's been previously banned in Explorer. So, pretty. Pretty reasonable size shakeup, I think. If you've paid any attention to Pioneer uh, at all, expressive iteration has been kind of a hallmark of any reactive or kind of even the kind of any of the blue decks. Really, like it's kind of kept a kind of like monopoly on on the blue decks of them being uh, blue red based. And it's just the first, maybe it's just like the first time, the first of many expressive iteration bands to maybe follow in the future in other formats. But Canis, uh, have you played much Pioneer? And do you? Do you have any thoughts on this, 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 these changes? I have played some amount of Pioneer, and uh, I was a little bit surprised uh, by the excerpt that was attached to the uh, bar announcement where it said that Winota had both a stifling effect on the metagame, but also a very high win rate, I think they said. Uh, I may need to open the announcement to see exactly what it was. Uh, but I always felt like Winota was a bit more of a toxic deck than a good one. And indeed, like stifling the metagame and forcing people to, you know, play play decks that can interact or else you're going to suffer pretty highly. That being said, kind of not unhappy with Winota being gone from Pioneer, kind of good riddance to Winota as... Uh, I rarely feel like that, but with Winota, I did not feel yeah. satisfied after playing the games often. There aren't very many interesting Winota games. Don't they mention sometimes the exact percentage win rates? And I felt like there they just said high win rate, and I was wondering if it was just not like, you know, it, a little smoke, you know, just actually not being like totally it's transparent. Like, yeah. It okay. was left left vague. Who knows how high? Am I wrong that in the past they've come up, they've mentioned specific percentage win rates in these in these articles, like fifty five, fifty six, or over? You know, sometimes uh, they do when they feel like they want to. They do like famously, of course, Inverter of Truths had a forty nine percent win rate, which was enough to get it banned from 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 the format. Just the lack of justice is unreal. Hey, <laughs> just an well, injustice well, we live in. While Kethys decks had no win rate because they didn't even begin to exist yet, but it was also enough to get them banned. 
so yeah, the great the great combo combo cleansing was yeah kind of rude right but are you... it's it's unclear as to how high the win not a win it was but like it also like didn't seem to appear that often in the challenges in the pioneer challenges and kind of my my understanding is the what's the kind of policy essentially on announcing figures was it a while ago maybe if you think like five years ago or something when bands were a little bit less frequent they started citing win rates yeah i think in that kind of kaladesh era when they were banning smugglers copter and all that sort of stuff they were they started telling people that actually you know this deck is winning kind of you know 56 percent of its matches well, there was one announcement yeah that you say kaladesh where they actually presented a table with like win rates Right, well, yeah, yeah. That's that that's is what like I remember. All the archetypes, yeah. all the archetypes for energy and for monorade. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah, and so they had this kind of era where they kind of said, actually, we need to dem- we need to demonstrate conclusively like why we're doing these sort of things because we hadn't had very many bands for a long time, and then suddenly there was a whole bunch in a row, and I think they kind of went like, hey, people really want to know definitively, and then it got to the point where people were like, just shut up, I don't care, <laughs> like just ban this stupid horrible card, like I'm sick of playing against like Oka or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was obviously that you know, string of maybe like you know two or three years where things went pretty bad, and you know they became so frequent that they basically just said, yeah, yeah, obviously this is just gross. Like let's just get rid of this, and they stopped quoting numbers. And now we're kind of in this world where who knows what their real kind of internal policy is? They'll just tell us whatever whatever reasons they feel are reasonable, and well, you know, fine. In, in their interest to keep their policy vague and you know be able to do to do stuff as they see fit so like absolutely that's i mean you should be able to make changes to formats oh uh, you should be able to ban a card like winota if you think it's like a horrible piece of game horrible for gameplay even if it's only winning 45 percent. but if you're mandating that you have to give win rates and you say winota wins 45 percent of its matches but geez aren't they a miserable 45 percent? then some people are going to be like oh this is unreasonable yes which is probably why they're Often vague. About exactly. Those yeah. yeah, it's the sort of, of vague vagaries that I'm actually kind of ha- happy for them to do to have. I kind of prefer it more to them kind of lying to my face about, kind of, you know, uh, this is you know pe- people's people's opinion on this format is that it's very good and very enjoyable, and you will continue having fun playing it, and we'll make no changes. Yeah, conspiracy is good. I agree. It would be nice if we got more transparency from from Lassie just in general. Do you, do you plan on um, on practicing for the arena qualifier? I'm assuming you're actually going to play even if you don't practice for it. As I was trying to understand the qualifier system, but I did not yet. Uh, like it's probably not very hard, but I just didn't like reread the article to understand it. So, well, as the... as, as someone who was qualified for the last arena championship, you're qualified for the June qualifier, which is in. 10 days, the format is Explorer, which is basically Pioneer or Pioneer Lights. Anyways, Pioneer on Arena. It's basically all the cards that are legal on Arena that are also legal in Pioneer. Yeah, I know, I know what's Explorer. And then I think the format is basically you have to go, I think 6-1 or better on day one and then 6-1 or better on day two again. It's really tough. It's tougher than the older qualifiers because it qualifies you for the Arena Pro Tour the Arena Championship, which is now going to be a 32-player tournament, as opposed as you know, two 300 players we had the the past year, and that's going to be you know on Arena, and then you're also going to have the paper Pro Tours, so that's why the the threshold is much higher on day one and day two. 
it's seven one twice yeah seven one twice it's like super super hard and pretty tough field because it's you know competitive players or people who finished high on the ladder i guess if you want to play in but yeah so i was wondering if you had i like the i like sorry i like to have to make a distinction between competitive players and people who finish high on the ladder no when i say competitive it's possible that no one qualifies Mm, I'm not sure how it works, how the math works. I'm assuming that's not really possible, but as long as you have enough players, uh, I think, well, I think, know, I, is it like, is it, it's, I think it, 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 it pairs you. Oh, it's ugly. Just like go into the queue and like play. No, I think it, I guess. it pairs you uh, against someone who has the same record as you, or it really, it, it tries at least to pairs you most of the time against someone who has the same record as you. All right. I, I'm, I think. If there was a piece of magic so online software that would run tournaments in a organized and reasonable fashion. It would be funny if nobody qualified. <laughs> that would be pretty great. It's just no one gets there. It's like, yeah, thank you. Thank well, you for well there's a point system <laughs> where I think if you if you if you had like there, there there's like a, a fractional point system for these qualifiers too, I think, or some kind of tiebreakers or so like the, the arena championship has this kind of like overlay component where there's only like 30, 30 players of the 32 turn up and everyone gets a bonus kind of like two thirty thirds, two thirty seconds of the of the prize money redistributed to them. All right. So like the, the question, starting question that we... This song will drive you mad. This song will drive you mad. Pay five for active treason. Well, that might sound pretty bad. I'll figure some something out and... I'll take some deck and play play in it. But I don't play Arena much. Like I don't have my Arena updated since Yeah. Since the championship and like I have there. not act actively kept up with my account since since what was Sim Strixhaven? Yeah, I think six nine was the last set I bought cards for and like had most of the cards for for constructed, and then I just don't have a collection. I don't know how much I'm missing and how much I would need to to pay to get an arena collection. Yeah, I I went through a similar it. experience. I think uh, Street Seven was the last set I drafted a lot of, and so I went and loaded up a few decks from the kind of my standard looked kind of fun, and I, from the last the last arena pt and so i loaded up a deck and i was like yep minus 12 wild cards not happening i'm sorry like this is just not gonna happen can't do this anymore same with explorer as well like even though this is supposed to be a format that again uses my old cards like still need some new ones and i'm done drawing dead and if it doesn't cost me too much i probably like get a deck and play and then probably i won't seven one twice because that sounds like a very tough uh very unlikely event to happen. Very tough undertaking to 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 succeed. Yeah, so. it, it's tough because it's so tough. You, you can't really have expectations, but at the same time, you also kind of want to at least try and give yourself a shot. So, but, but maybe just bringing this all the way back to the kind of uh, the banning of expressive iteration. This is a big kind of is this a big shakeup for a format like Explorer? It was it one of the kind of best cards in that format as as it is in uh, almost all. All the kind of eternal formats. I'm honestly not sure. I've been playing a bit of Explorer. People seem to like that Ragdos Midrange deck that I found to be pretty mediocre. There's a bit of blue white control. Grease Fang is pretty good. There's a Phoenix deck that apparently was was pretty good and that obviously played four iterations. So 
that's probably gone. You had a Jeskai. There's a lot of Agent of Treachery decks. I was playing a Teamer Luca deck with Transmogrify that actually tried to put into play the Titan of Industry in game one. And then I had the Agents in the sideboard, but then you had a pretty popular Jeskai version of Creativity that, you know, was playing Agent. And that deck takes a pretty big hit because. You know, you have your have combo, but being able to grind with iteration is, is pretty pretty good too. You can play a bit like a control deck. I have a question. Is it 7-1 best of one best of or best of three? I think it's best of three. I don't okay. think... I'm not sure best of one is an option even on day one. But I could be wrong. But yeah, honestly, I don't know what I'm going to play yet. I don't really have the faintest idea. I did like that Team Luka deck that was pretty good against Ragdos and aggressive decks, but it was not great against other other decks that are trying to cheat in creatures in play, and it wasn't great against control. I tried a, a sweet white-red tokens deck with the, um, the Forerunner, just kind of white-red tokens be done, but you're also playing Creativity, Transmogrify, and a couple uh, Forerunners. That deck was pretty pretty solid, pretty decent. And um, looks like there's maybe good elementals deck. There's Omnath is legal. You don't have fetch lands, you just have passage, but Omnath is legal, Resonance is legal. I think there's probably a good deck there. Blue-white control is kind of okay. So we'll see. I haven't, I haven't seen anything that, that stood out. Oh, there's a cool fight rigging deck with Henge, where you just play red, black-green with Register and the new Shakedown creature. And then you you abuse fight rigging and, and degrade hench. That deck looks like it could be promising. Actually, I was I played a couple match. I lost it on the ladder. Played a couple match with it. It was pretty good. So this is fight rigging great hench sounds like a, a very competitive meta deck. Mm, you'd be on... surprised. <laughs> on its surface, yeah. I assume there's also like cut oven same like 40 cards plus 20 cards of support as in every format yeah i guess there's that there's anvil is legal made a red black anvil deck so yeah no one really plays food actually because you know people don't want to because it's kind of miserable to play i guess but maybe food is okay it... but food is not great against the card farewell it's not very good against i'm assuming it's not very good against that team or luka deck i was playing it's probably not very good against Grease Fang as well, which I seems to be the deck that I, in my understanding, is that's the best. Modded Grease Fang is like one of the best decks you can play in, in Explorer. Yeah, you can play Asper Grease Fang too, Mardu Grease Fang. So, yeah, food's probably not great against that either. I agree. We'll, we'll see. LB. What is missing from Pine, like from Pioneer and Explorer? That's crucial. The Delve spells, Monastery Swift Spear. Yeah, you don't have a four mana sweeper for blue white. You don't have verdict, so you have to play, and you mm -hmm. don't have day of judgment, so you have to play either shatter the sky, depopulate, doom scar. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, a big card that's missing. Uh, the, the cards you mentioned, the delve cards. The lotus field deck does not have doesn't have the cards. Yeah, lotus field doesn't exist. Uh, Niv. Is missing. You're missing Sylvan Carroted out of Nev. Bring to Light. Also not on Arena, right? Uh, bring, bring to Light, light is yeah. not, not legal either, yeah. That's from Battle of Zenith, yeah. Thing in the Ice is not in the format. So there's there's a decent bit. Nykthos, 
There is actually a mono green kind of not devotion, but mono green planeswalker deck. Another another one, not a good deck that I've I've lost so much is just mono blue spirits. That deck's pretty solid. So yeah, we'll see. I, I don't I don't know what I'm gonna play yet. Hopefully, I I figure something out. But either way, it's it's gonna be tough. Um, should we kind of wrap up? I guess. Attitude, yep. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna put our lives on the line. Yeah. Right. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, Life on the Line is a theoretical tournament that happens tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna bring a deck from every format we've talked about this in this episode. So I would definitely gonna talk about modern. I don't think we should talk about Pioneer. We didn't really gonna go into anything in detail. So let's just talk about modern. Uh, so uh, and the stakes of this tournament are probably the most important thing. Uh, if you win, you get to continue living your life. And if you lose, well, that's the end. You die. And so, yeah, decks from modern. Gab, what are you going to play in, in Life on the Line this week? That pretty solid finish. His was the, the um, Elementals version of Four Color on So I think if I put my life on the line, I would, I'd play that again. What about you, Cancer? That's a tough, tough one. I could run back the GLS deck. I could play Living End. According to today's ban announcement, there was a short paragraph about Modern. Blue Red Merktide has a 50% win rate in leagues and challenges when like everything is combined. So it'll be like, you know, a coin flip. Either you die or, or you don't die, so that kind of... Well, actually, less, because you have to win a tournament, not a match. Then, <laughs> well, Let's say I'll play Living End, and then maybe my living would end. Right. Well, well, I'll just take a series of, a string of coin flips, and I'll play Merktide, because I'm not quite convinced that it's it's Grixis Legislator uh, dot format. All right, cool. Well, with that being said, Canister, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you very, very much. It was, it was nice to have you. I think, what, for the second time? Third time? Second, for sure. Second. Third, maybe. Yeah, maybe. yeah we've, we've definitely been on before, and it was enlightening, as always. Yeah, it was very it was, nice. It was very nice to, to talk with you. And... uh you you can remind me the the listeners where 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 people can find you your content all the good stuff. You can find me on twitch.tv slash canister underscore mtg. You can find updates about my content on twitter.com slash canister underscore mtg, and you can find my YouTube channels uh, youtube.com slash canister. And youtube.com slash canister VODs, where I just post the archive of all the all the streams, all the past archive streams out there. Awesome. What about you, Pat? You can find me anywhere on the internet at get underscore smart, and that's about it. What about you, Gab? Yeah, just yellow hat. I'd get this heap on Twitter. I don't have, I was trying to come up with something witty like, like you do sometimes, but. Sometimes I, it's good to use this way sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, as always, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll have a great week and we'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.
All right, no one else wants to say bye. Just see you later. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>